I've I've been on my computer sitting here for the last like 20 minutes or so, but mm-hmm. apparently Spotify just now decided to open on its own and <laughs> yeah. um it's doing some verifying things. There we go. Okay. All right. I think okay. I know my video was lagging for a minute, so I was like what's going on? We're good. Spotify <laughs> doesn't tr- Spotify doesn't trust me. It's uh I'm just kidding. I mean, Spotify is actually they bought the um, they bought they bought the podcast platform that I use. Oh, and okay. So they are the owner of my my content, Spotify. Oh, maybe they yeah. knew that I was talking to you. Yep. So they were verifying whether or not you should be talking to me or not. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, I think he's all right. I think we can continue. Um, yeah, we'll see. Are you living or coming from a multicultural or cross-cultural journey in this life? Have you lived abroad for an extended amount of time? Have you married into another culture or are a product of a bicultural relationship? Hello. I'm Mike Sullivan, and this is my TCK podcast, where we answer ridiculous questions like, where are you from? By the way, uh, if you're asking yourself the question, what is a TCK? I encourage you to listen to a few episodes and find out. Maybe you are one and you didn't know it. Or maybe you strongly resonate with our experiences This podcast is for everyone. In episode 12, I monologued about the gay community in June during Gay Pride Month, but yearned to have someone from the rainbow community on my podcast. That opportunity has come. I am so, so blessed to have two wonderful conversations with Kanako Sua, who openly identifies as queer, and she's a TCK, and a fellow educator in the international realm, and is in my hometown of Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'm so grateful for her time and willingness to thoughtfully delve into some emotionally taxing subjects one more time for the sake of those that need to hear it. Listen in on our conversation. Kanako Sua. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. Absolutely great to have you here. On my TCK podcast, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited for this. You are in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Yes. <laughs> and that is where I grew up. Okay, that is home. Uh, you know, when we put those profile things on Facebook or whatever and say, where, yeah. you know, where are you from? I notice most TCKs will put, of course, where they grew up, uh, where they spent most of their TCK lives, whether it's Nigeria yep. or, you know, Lebanon or, you know, even if we've no longer spent most of our life there, we are still putting that as our home. So Chiang Mai, Thailand is, of course, my home in a sense. How long have you been there? I've been here since July last year. So about a year and a half now. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like before moving to Chiang Mai, I was in Ho Chi Minh City for five years. Okay. That's probably, yeah, that's. That would be the longest okay. I've lived anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? 
Um, I was sitting in an apartment in Korea and then suddenly realized that I had been there for three and a half years and it had been the longest I had ever been, had one bed, Mm -hmm. like like the same room, the same bed. And it shocked me. I just thought, wow, Korea of all places. Anyway, back to, to Chiang Mai. Um, and what exactly are you doing there? Um, I work at an international school here. Um, I'm at Chiang Mai International School. I'm the um, K through 12 EAL coordinator. So my my teaching background is in um, bilingual education and EAL and ESL. I sort of oversee the program at my current school. Oh, okay. So, what's your favorite food so far in Thailand? Um, Patsyu. Oh yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. So I I grew up like uh, because we lived in Taiwan and th- like Thailand was really close. I I my family and I would come to Thailand for holidays and I was like, oh, I love Pad Thai. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I moved here that I had Pad Siu and and like the flat fatness of the noodles. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like it's a this is a texture that I really love. So yeah. that's kind of become nice. And so what's your favorite place to hang out in Chiang Mai? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it probably looks, some of it looks a lot the same. Uh, Cause I've been there recently. My wife and I vacationed there uh, not too long ago, okay. but some of it looks the same. And then some of it looks like Singapore. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I started doing, um, and I'm still at like at the beginning stages of it is um, mm-hmm. like going to different cafes. Okay. Yeah, Chiang Mai is is known to have a lot of cafes or something. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. Um, nice. So Caf- my friend was here in October, and we went to a restaurant where like the barista had won like a latte art competition. Oh wow! Pretty cool. And I was like, oh, I want to go see more of what's. You know, yeah. Nice. So they have cafes now. <laughs> Seems like <laughs> maybe not, everybody. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not when you live. Got... Well, I mean, I'm showing. I mean, my age a little bit, I guess, uh, by saying, yeah, the cafe was just not a thing back, you know, in the day. Um, yeah. Our excitement was hanging out at Burger King. <laughs> at the, in the in the night bazaar, you know, uh, down. Uh, so we would watch tourists get ripped off and stuff, and it was great. Yeah. That's what we would do for fun, hang out. And um, so what's the most commonly used Thai phrase that you, you say now or that you've learned? Um, sabai, sabai. Sabai, 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 sabai. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, I don't know if there isn't an english equivalent like don't worry about it just like doesn't feel the same you know right um, and so it's like teachers and kids and just everyone being like yeah you know what like sabai sabai right yes indeed i wasn't expecting that when i was expecting like where's huh? you know you know you know whatever um but that that's a good one i love it i love it so let's get this out of the way i typically ask Early in our conversation, uh, the ridiculous question, of course, uh, just to to get the conversation started about your background. So, Akaniko, where are you from? Um, I'm from Japan. 
I spent the first 10 years of my life in Japan until we had to move to Taipei um, for my dad's job. So I was 10. I moved to Taiwan, went to the American school there. And that was sort of the beginning of my like TCK journey. And then um, I moved back to Japan for to finish high school. And then after that, I went to Boston to get my teaching degree, um, taught in Vietnam for five years, and now I'm in Chiang Mai. So, yeah, I think I'm, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but I'm. it's easier for me to say that I'm from Japan than it is for the majority of TCKs to identify where they're from. Because I've, I've, that's my passport country. That's where my family is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spent about 13 years of my life in Japan now out of mm-hmm. 28, 29. So I feel like I have solid roots there at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm from Japan. Yeah. And, and I guess everyone has a varying degree of comfort with, you know, their passport country. I've become more comfortable with <laughs> saying that I'm an American. What kind of reactions do you get from people when you tell them you're from Japan? Um, I think the most common one is like, but your English is so good. Or like, <laughs> I get, I think I get, you know how like Asian Americans talk about how they're asked, like when they say they're American, they're asked like, but where in Asia are you from? Like, yes. I get uh, I get the opposite. So, like, I'll say I'm from Japan, and then have somebody ask, like, yeah, but, like, I know that's your heritage, like, but, like, where in the States are you from? Oh, interesting. And I'm, like, I'm I'm not from any American state. Like, I don't have any ties yeah. roots there at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's – those are the, the, the two that I get the most. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I guess because you carry – a quasi American accent. Um, yeah, I think so, so. Definitely. That identification puts you squarely, which is interesting because you remind me suddenly of my Korean boss at my job before. She's Korean in every way. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you know, she moved to New Zealand at some point, kind of like you for college. Yeah. Uh, she went to college in New Zealand and came back with a New Zealand accent. Yeah. And nobody questions her as a native speaker, <laughs> but she grew yeah. up in Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she didn't spend that much time in New Zealand, but she can give you the the feeling that that she she grew up in New Zealand. Uh, she's got a New Zealand accent, and it's fascinating to me. So. I watched a video uh, that you sent me um, of a, a, a plenary video that you had sent to the recent ITCK conference in Chiang Mai. Yep. And you spoke about your background through the lens of being a queer person mm-hmm. or being, yeah, of being queer. And I don't need you to repeat everything word for word, but just just talk about... I think, you know, the the key points from that video, especially about 
coming from a conservative Japanese background and your family, if you don't mind? Yeah. So I think I was maybe like in middle school when I realized that I'm not straight, but that just never, it never crossed my mind that that was something that I could talk to my parents about. Mm -hmm. uh, and around the time that I found um, more resources to kind of explain my identity, and back then I had identified just as bisexual, we moved back to Japan and I was attending high school in Japan and I was I was living a couple doors down from my my grandparents as well. And so we'd have family dinner together all the time. And the comments that they made about um, either Japanese celebrities um, or any news segments related to LGBTQ or anything like that, I got the sense that they would not be kind or they would not be very supportive to LGBTQ people. And I had no way of knowing if that would also be extended to myself as well. But mm -hmm. but like moving back to Japan from Taiwan was hard for me. And so I, I didn't want to add an extra layer of something that m might make it harder. And so during high school, I, I was in the closet. And then when I moved to Boston and I was sort of distanced from my family, it was a little bit easier for me to start being more myself mm -hmm. and I thought about coming out to them a couple of times I think the longer I spent in Boston away from my parents the more I thought about coming out to them the next time I saw them it felt like every time I thought about it or every time I was actually back in Japan with them there would be something that would happen that made me think okay these are not safe people mm. and that sort of came from different family members at different times mm -hmm. so i'm i still have not come out to my parents mm -hmm. explicitly anyway um right and yeah part of sort of living outside of japan or away from my family is so that i have space where i can be who i am Mm -hmm. um, and I think it. I feel like it would be a lot harder if we lived uh, closer to each other, like just proxi like proximity, uh, geography wise. Right. Um, given where I'm at now in my professional journey of mm -hmm. being an openly queer teacher at a school, the gap between being who I am at school and then also uh, sort of toning that down whenever I visit my family. Um, yeah, that gap is getting a little bit harder to manage. I feel like it's a, it's a necessary thing to maintain the relationship we have now. Yeah. So we just had our Thanksgiving holidays as Americans, and I had just sent out like a newsletter and some posts about the awkwardness of Thanksgiving because family gets together every year and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all these different things kind of take place where it's like, well, you know, is my family going to accept my lifestyle? Is my family going to accept my partner? You know, all, my career choices, just a whole yeah. slew of, of, of fears actually 
are associated with this time of year and glossed over for kind of like happy family time, you know, it's like, but, but there's so many people that are actually, no, I don't, I don't actually feel safe telling my family about what's actually going on. And this is, Mm -hmm. so I have two questions. One is how much is it just because it's difficult for any person such as yourself to tell their family, Mm -hmm. you know, universally, but how much yep. of it is because of Japanese culture? I'm curious. Mm, Japan as a society focuses so much on family, right? So like mm-hmm. you're expected, um, I think as a woman, you're expected to get married before 30, um, have kids and stuff like that. And I think maybe the part um, that Japanese society as a whole is missing is the understanding that you you can still have a family even as a queer couple mm. or queer family um i think the conservativeness as well uh mm-hmm. has something to do with it i think there's this sort of um misconception that that the queer community as a whole is more promiscuous more perverted like uh, more sexually charged, that kind of thing, which isn't um, which isn't necessarily true, but mm. because that's the misconception that people have in Japan about the queer community, adding on the fact that they are super conservative and doesn't really talk about sexual things anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I th- I think when when people hear sort of like the word gay or lesbian or whatever they think oh like these people are only going to talk about sexual things right Um, and we don't like that as a society it's sort of the view that they have um which i really think i mean that's just based on a misconception right right um but when when the whole society believes in that misconception it holds some value yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's just this a level of morality uh, associated, and and it's just not fair. And I do attack that in my book. I won't go into it too much, but I attack it from that angle because I was in the Navy during the "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" policy. You know where where folks were not allowed to talk about their sexuality, mm-hmm. but I was. Yeah. And it just it's just hard to imagine that I'm in a society that would even embrace that as equity or fairness at all, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I could run around and be promiscuous and talk about it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. a gay person can't even talk about being gay, you know, and so that I just want it to sound as absurd as it is and get yeah. people to understand. Um, and that will probably in my opinion, do a lot to help mitigate the divide or understanding. So there's another layer to this, of course. I mean, it's a TCK podcast after all. How has mm-hmm. being a TCK kind of added uh, a unique, I guess, uniqueness to this journey of being queer? Um, I think as a kid, like I think about this a lot, would I have realized that I um, would I have realized that I was queer if I hadn't had the international experience because one mm-hmm. of the catalysts 
was watching a show that was in English, which, like, I wouldn't have watched that show if I didn't live abroad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. um, and I'm sure, and I'm sure there would have been something else later on in life if I had just lived in Japan and, and was living in Japan. But I also think, like, as a TCK, uh, when I was in high school and was trying to figure out what to do after graduation, like as a TCK, I felt like the whole world was open to me as an option of where to go next. Right. Whereas a lot of my Japanese, um, my Japanese friends who had only lived in Japan, they were only looking at universities in Japan, which, you know, absolutely makes sense. But I think I would have been very miserable uh, living in Japan as a queer person and hiding it, potentially not even like recognizing that I am, right? Mm. Um, right. So, and then I think now in my job, I think about the implications of um, being a queer third culture kid. Um, like as as a kid that accompanies their their parents to live abroad. This may seem kind of odd, and maybe you were looking at my script, like why is he doing this? When you prepare for things, you can investigate and and research things instantly on the internet and get a better idea about, but podcasting is an art. And um, I like to bring a little bit of sincerity to, to it rather than everything being pre-staged or planned, but believe it or not, you are going to be the first person to tell me exactly what being queer means. I have actually never. So I was sitting there thinking I should just assume that I know what this means. I saw the video and you had mentioned a few things in there. Yeah. And then I'm like, but that didn't really match up with my understanding. But then I thought, actually, Mike, you don't have any understanding. And I think I think that's part of the problem is that as heterosexuals, we can live because we live by far in the majority. Right. We could surround ourselves in a world that is ours, you know, on so many levels that is built for us, is made for us. And we don't have to know. Right. Yeah. And so I just kind of wanted to highlight that at my own expense, but please tell me what exactly does it mean to be queer? Um, I use, <clears throat> actually, I want to preface this by saying there are other queer people, oh. other people in the LGBTQ community that might not have the same views and intent as I do. So this is my, my personal view. I use, the term queer for a couple of reasons. One, I use it as an umbrella term for the LGBTQ community. We were actually talking to some students about this over the last 10, 20 years. The acronym of LGBT or LGB, the the number of letters in that acronym has just increased, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's people saying LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA+. And and part of the reason I use the word queer 
is I see that term as an umbrella term for anyone that belongs under it. I feel like if I just say LGBT, then I'm excluding the people that I think belong in the queer community. Mm -hmm. But I also find myself just having a hard time like keeping up with all the letters when I'm speaking um you know like how how many letters do i say um (laughs) yeah yeah so anyone um yeah so 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 queer to me is an umbrella term first of all Um, interesting i love umbrella terms because i feel like it becomes a it's a self-identifying term as well Uh uh-huh there might not be an exact label for how you identify. Mm-hmm. Maybe it hasn't been uh, like discovered or it hasn't been well, what's the word? Like, like people haven't come up with the right phrase or right term right. to describe how you feel. But I feel like with the umbrella term, you can belong in that community because we're yeah. not asking you to specify exactly what those are. Um, nice. So that's, my, that's my first reason. The second reason um, is because, so I like to use the term queer for myself because I, 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 I'm still kind of exploring the different aspects of my queer identity. I started with identifying as bisexual and I did for, you know, uh, seven, eight years or so. And then I learned the term uh, pansexual, which isn't a whole lot different from bisexual. And then I learned about sexual attractions versus romantic attraction as well. And so I think the more I learn about the community, the more I sort of find words that feel like it, it fits me. Um mm-hmm. And I think, A, I think it's going to, con- like, that's going to continue to happen where I discover a new label that I'm like, oh, this might actually be me. And then also because I feel like maybe my identity will change too. Yeah. So that's the second reason. And then finally, the third reason is when I go into specific labels and I'm talking to someone who's not very knowledgeable about the queer community. It, mm-hmm. And I say like, oh, I, d- I identify as this, this, and this. Explaining those terminologies sort of become the focus of my conversations with them. Um, and I feel like uh, that's what I would call like a Googleable question, right? Like you yeah. can Google what those terms mean. And I, I, I don't. A, I don't want to be the representative for that whole community by explaining what it is. And then B, um, it is a lot of emotional labor for me to yeah. always have to explain different terms and potentially answer questions that might require me to be to share or be vulnerable when maybe I don't want to. Sorry to leave you all hanging. This conversation went on for an hour. And I really don't want you guys to miss any of it. So I am providing you a bonus round with Kanako Sua that will be out on Wednesday next week. 
Don't miss it. We talk about education and how to support queer kids in school and how parents can best support their children they discover their kids are a bit different. I hope you could tune in with us for more. As always, thanks for listening.